into a hole and found hidden gems and buried treasures. Good evening, you're now listening to Hidden Gems and Buried Treasures, the New Year Shindig, the show where we like to look back on some of the events that have taken place over the last 365 days on a Tuesday evening. Uh, Tonight we're going to look back at some of the artists who we have interviewed or had live sessions with. Going to kick off with one that we had way back in March of last year. From show favourites, the Swamp Born Assassins. With Charlie, Andy and Craig from the band in. They did a wonderful acoustic session. And we're going to hear a couple of tracks to kick off tonight's New Year show. Thank you. 
Enjoying that, I was singing along. I actually know the words to that one. Should I give you a copy in me? One of my favourites, one of my favourites, Charlie.
devil and take your soul down at the gate down at the gate John Fair into a and found hidden gems and buried treasures.
the wonderful heat there on a track called Cry, one of Andy from the Swampies' favourite bands. Well, it wouldn't be a New Year's show in Scotland if I didn't play a couple of Scottish bands. Uh, some may think I'm going to play Nazareth. Nah, it's not going to be that. First up is Gambling Bar Room Blues from the wonderful Sap, and then a fantastic reworking of Better Days by Glasgow's own gun. Hey, 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 
trouble last night on the radio Seeing is believing, now tell me, do you like what you see? Cause I've been holding on to promises now, yeah, for too many years It's happening all over the world, yeah, to people like you and me That should be Gun fade away there. It's time to hear the excellent interview I had with one of the cult bands from the Nawabum era, the wonderful soldier.
We're talking to two gentlemen from a band that hail from the Nawabam era, one of my favourite eras of metal and rock, and it's Ian and Richard from the band Soldier. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us on Cam Glen Radio. It's always a pleasure to speak to people who have been through what I consider one of the best eras of rock ever. I think the amount of music that came out in the Nawabam era, the 77 to 79, uh, absolutely fantastic, and into the early 80s. Uh, I know, uh, Ian, you are the sole remaining original member, I believe, of Soldier. I am indeed. Yeah, indeed. And I see you're sporting a budgie t-shirt there. Uh, so, I and, and I believe you supported them way back in the day. Is that right, Ian? We did. We did. During the night flight tour, I think it was, yeah. It's ah, very right. good. A, a bit of a strange band, a kind of an eclectic band, budgie. Uh, they had a very cult following, uh, but uh, but inspired a lot of people, including Metallica. So you were on the stage with some good good music. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Bandelier, what an album that is. That yeah. is just a monster. The, 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 al- the album covers are a bit weird. Seeing budgies is just a bit, a bit strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to start. You started way back in 1979. What inspired you to form the band, Ian? Um, I was in a, um, a rock covers band, and um, I, I just had enough of it, really. I, I enjoyed it, but I just thought I'd rather do my own music. So <laughs> uh, I just got that in and started writing a couple of songs, and... Um, Got together some local musicians and that was it. Just went in the studio and started recording stuff and gigging. It was was um, it you inspired by the kind of metal sound? Because you, you, the band is very of that either the sound. Uh, if you hear that, you know exactly when it's probably come from. Uh, was that just were you inspired by the bands round about you at that point? Um, I was. I, I'm definitely classic rock rock music. Not not really metal. Um, oh, yeah. the, the the band just sort of it, I, I didn't start it as a as a, a metal band I started it as a rock band and it just sort of I think it started off um, the first couple of songs sort of like feeling a feet but then it did it did get metal yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's quite interesting because I spoke to a chap at a demon not that long ago and he they get lumped in with a new wave of British heavy metal as well he says. I never wanted to be metal. He says, and I don't think I'm metal anyway. But he's, he's um, right. It's, I think it was just a kind of, it was like you were lumped in with the, sort of the, I suppose the, the trend of the day. And in a way, it probably helped a lot of bands by being, being lumped in with that kind of thing. I think those bands um, back then, they were, they were starting themselves. So you, you didn't really, unless you were on the circuit with them, you didn't really, I'm more likely to be listening to people like Montrose than Judas Priest. Uh-huh, right, from, yeah. On the American side of things, really. Uh-huh. And um, you had some famous names. I've gone through the lineups in the part in the years when you had Phil Lewis of Ellie uh, Guns fame, and yep. uh, you Mark McKenzie from Gaskin. Going to your releases, you started off in '82 with a cassette, Live Forces. Now I, I loved that back in the day, where bands would just make their own cassettes, and I, I, I actually pine for those days because it's so digitalized now. Everything's digital. It's a lot simpler, I suppose, for you guys. But uh, yeah. was that was that the thing? It was a cassette. You got your own cassette out and you put it around all the radio stations in various places. Well, it was Cheryl Lee first, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, well, when we, I think Silver Screen Teaser was the first one we put out a cassette, and that yeah. that got into a few different rock charts and uh, in Holland and different countries. So we were doing that, and then and then we had Cheryl Lee, which was a, a vinyl yeah. single, uh-huh. and then. Um, Without boring you to tears, but basically, but we got a new drummer, um, uh, Steve Taylor, and he he was writing more more material that um, I, I thought was getting a bit too poppy, really. So um, I, I did part ways from the band at one point, and um, so that when they did the Life Forces tape, that's when Nick uh, Ashley took over, um, and he he ended up going to America and playing with Alanis Morissette.
you obviously you put the, the things out in cassette first because that was obviously the simplest way back in those days. Uh, and then you had a, the single, as you said, Shirley, on vinyl, and then it just seemed to disappear. But I did know, I did read that you were about to sign for, was it Music for Nations? Yeah. At one point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that all, that all went pear-shaped. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, prior to that, Heavy Metal Records had offered us a three-album deal. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time, we thought we could get a bigger label, which, with hindsight, was a mistake. Mm. I mean, one of the things that really winds me up, or did wind me up when we was gigging, is that we, you know, we'd be we'd we'd quite often have bands much higher up the the, uh, the you know the packing order because they they released an album. Mm. Um, so for the credibility of the band, I think because we never did release a vinyl in, with a label, um, we, we missed out there. But anyway, hindsight is a wonderful thing. <laughs> Uh, I suppose it is. But to, you, you, as I say, your sound is quintessentially the album sound, although you say you didn't intend to be a metal band. Uh, uh, you also gigged on to, it was about 19, early 80s, uh, and then yeah. it, it, it stopped, and you had a hiatus up until the, the new century, basically, is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. What, what made you come back? Hmm. Uh, Steve Barlow ran me up uh, and said, um, are, are you aware that there's this... Um, massive interest in in the wobbum on the internet and um and and also with soldier and i said no um i did not what's the internet, <laughs> what's the internet? <laughs> so um and because of that we, we just thought well if this is interest we might as well get back together and see if we can do something um which we got back together I got in touch with gary phillips um and ian astrop the drummer uh, we went in and did like an EP, and then we um, we we approached uh, Heavy Metal Records, and they actually ended up releasing an album after all those years. Sins of the Warrior. <laughs> no, because I was just I was, I was having a quick look, and I saw that through your discography, if that's how you see it, you were quite prolific in the early two thousands. You had quite a few things yeah. that came out: CDs, yeah. EPs, albums. I could name them all, but we could be here all night. Uh, and yeah. then 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 you had a break again. And didn't come back by the looks of it till 2013. Is that, is that intentional or do you just have other things to do? Uh, well, Gary lived um, up north, so it was quite difficult doing stuff with him. And also his um, his health um, was suffering, really, and he was struggling to sing. And um, because of that, we it, the band just sort of filtered out. Um, ironically enough, at some point in between that period, we, we did... Uh, it was about 2007. Yeah, Richard came in and we did a load of rehearsals, but never really got round to doing anything. And what really sparked it was the um, British Steel Festival was contacted and asked if we could do that. Oh. And on the back of that, I contacted Richard again. Um, I threw some bizarre meeting. My wife wanted some mind mongery, and uh, <laughs> I speak to that. I sat there and he had long hair, and I said to Miles, and I said, Do you like rock music, Miles? By any chance? And he said, Oh, yeah. And I told him who I was, and he was like, Oh, you know, but he had the single and everything. Anyway, he joined, and um, just songwriting, just writing with Richard, um, and very similar musical tastes. Um, yeah, we, we just inspired, I think, really, to. To gig again, and and to certainly, I wasn't really, you know, I never thought we'd reach the pinnacle of of songwriting, so we did, we we gave that a go. So those two albums that came out, I'm very proud. And it was it was weird for me because um, 
ironically when i was a teenager and had all my own hair and everything i actually saw a soldier a few times there's it used to be a venue in the town called the old five bells mm-hmm. so when i was 15 16 i was down the front head banging and then all those years later I ended up standing at the front of the chat stage um shouting for them so yeah i wonder if you'd got you'd got in tow if you had known about them but obviously you did and it is, it is an amazing era of music that, that came out around about then because a yeah. lot of the bands are still going i mean they are and and the interest uh, is quite phenomenal mm-hmm. i mean you've got websites dedicated to, to an era of music that you know most people would probably just pass by very quickly uh, you can buy it, as I said, yeah. 2013, 14, you know, Dogs of War. Uh, but I saw you released a live album that had been recorded in 19, was it 1983 at the legendary Heathery Bar. And it is, it, English version is wish all, but up here they call it wishy. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so how did that come about? Well, that, that was again when Nick Lashley was in the band, um, I don't know what you call that, Mark Three was it? Mark Four, Mark Five, Mark Five. So um, <laughs> they 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 got a tour bus um, and they they just you know they went for it and um, and and they were touring all all round and so that they ended up at that uh, doing that gig. Because well, I think like with live forces, they always had would they generally always take a stereo out of the desk, uh-huh. you know, to record gigs yeah. just yeah. to you know see how things are going because that's how live forces. Uh, was originally done, right. and it was right. Steve, wasn't it? Steve found the gig in his considerable cassette tape archive. <laughs> we uh, we used to have a, a guy that was a sound engineer through the whole lot, right from the beginning, and he recorded everything on the desk, um, everything we did through the years. And then when we finally caught up with him, he's he'd split with his missus, and in a fit of rage, she burnt the lot. Oh, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of those stories and I don't give her a tenner for it I don't want it in such a way <laughs> fantastic <laughs> fantastic but not fantastic if you know what I mean yeah, a brilliant story hey, compared to back in the the 70s uh, Ian and now what do you find is the difference if you are recording or uh, out on stage going around gigs is it uh, do you find the audiences are still relatively the same still the same reaction uh, or is the recording process just a lot easier than it was back then? Um, as far as recording is concerned, um, that's you know we 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 have our own recording studios, so we do our own stuff. It's it's chalk and cheese, you know. You're not up against the clock. In the old days, you were you were on the clock, uh, and you went in and um, you know you had no money and did the best you could, and you came out of what you got was what you got. Whereas we can. Um, I can sit for hours now. It's actually, really a, it's actually a bad thing with him because you never get... It takes you about 20 years to release a record. But... <laughs> no, I mean, it is, it, I think I think it's fair to say that, you know, for instance, you can't see it, but we've got Ian's Mac in front of us yeah. and there's probably as much processing power and as many different sounds and stuff as you get in a major... What you used to get in a major recording studio mm-hmm. back in the 70s because just the number of compressors that you can have and the number of reverbs different reverbs you can have now whereas you know you used to go into a studio they might have one compressor you know and they might have a a little uh, plate reverb somewhere and that was it and you had to choose what you put your compressor on and and that you had to make those kind of decisions mm-hmm. whereas now it can get a bit you know option anxiety because there's it's so easy in <laughs> in many ways to to do stuff now yeah it is so something 
too much stuff and too much to play with. What they do? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been there, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> We're still there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. uh, is there a lineup? You know, Richard, are you? I mean, you're obviously the front man. Ian's on guitar. Is there a, is there a lineup yeah. that can go on stage at any point? Not at the moment. It's um, it it sort of got to one of those things. I'm trying to think what year it would have been around. Uh, what 2017, 2018, where we'd 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 had a good run, and we were pretty busy all the time. You know, both here and in playing festivals and gigs in Europe. Um, but you did start to started to get to that point where it was like you were just seeing the same bands on the bill all the time. At that point. Um, and I wouldn't say it becomes a grind, but you know, certainly, you know, some people really didn't want to didn't want to put the effort in. It, it, just just the slog of, you know, to do one gig, you know, if you haven't been rehearsing regularly, you're going to do three or four rehearsals at least, you know, to go and do your gig. And we just got to that point where we thought, let's have a, you know, let's have a rest, let's see what's what happens. Um, Basically, what happened? It all kind of stops, unfortunately. Um, well, I know the soldier will get revived and, and they'll go out on the road again, but it's just I've, I've, I've more gigging days are over, really. I've yeah. had years of it, so uh, it, I, I like it in the studio now doing the uh, you know, we're... yeah, so he doesn't have to leave the house. <laughs> I mean, I, I must admit, we've well, had I can't some... leave the house anyway because my, my uh, alarm goes off. <laughs> Um, but we have had several discussions where, uh, you know, I am working in the background to try and possibly put something together, whether it will be called Soldier or not, to be honest, because, you know, I am of the opinion that unless you've got original members in the band, mm-hmm. it's a little disingenuous to call it that name. And I know there's always the argument that, you know, to say that I've been in now, you could argue, since 2010 kind of thing. So I'm probably the longest serving singer. But in reality, if you ask anybody about soldier, they'll either say life forces or they'll say Sherry, you know, mm-hmm. and I sang on neither. So it's just, you know, hopefully something will happen. So there, there will be soldier songs being played live, hopefully. Um, but, uh, you know, it's trying to find the right people and, you know, getting the gigs and stuff. Yeah. There is definitely an album. Oh, yeah, we got we've got an album pretty well. It's pretty much recorded. Still got some vocals and some guitar stuff oh. to do. There will be a new album, um, yeah. which is another impetus to try and get our act together or, you know, get something together to go out and play some of those songs. Mm. Uh, you read my mind there. That was my next question, but you're on the ball tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting there before I could ask you. No, that, that's interesting because I was going to say, you mean, as much as Ian doesn't want to go out on the road anymore, uh, the thought of maybe doing things, you know, records and just still putting the music out there but you've said you've got an album to come out which is fantastic so people will still hear so right all the time you yeah, know that's, that's... there's ideas being bandied around all the time we've got we, well we've got another album we're in the process of just finishing mixing and stuff which is not going to come out under soldier but it's coming yeah. out under another name and it's it's quite different really um i don't want to use the the p word and say it's proggy but it's much more towards that than it is Noobum, but it's still oh. got elements of, of stuff in there. I suppose it's Prog Noobum would be the best description. Yeah. <laughs> a new genre. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we've always got lots of stuff uh-huh. on the boil and 
and you know there'll never be a a lack of it whether it comes out in physical format or ends up just being download only which will be a a shame but we are reaching that point where unless you're out gigging that's where you tend to sell the majority of your hard copy physical product you know Mm -hmm. so is is there anything from the band's past members whatever that might surprise anybody that's seen you listen to your music that they didn't realize some dark secret that uh, some ba- past band member or the band themselves as a collective have had? <laughs> Dangerous question. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did find out quite an unusual bit of information about a year ago, but I can't repeat that. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, 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 I don't know, really. I think that... Uh, Drinking and fighting, wasn't it, for you? Well, yeah, I was was an angry young man. (laughs) I did, uh, I know we did um, Greenpeace, we did a big Greenpeace gig. (laughs) And there was, uh, they had drums up on a big uh, drum riser and it was a huge stage. And um, I I said to them, I I can't hear anything. I think we got through the number, first number. And I will put in at this point, actually, that I was born in Scotland, so I am Scottish, so it might explain a bit of my behaviour. But anyway, <laughs> after the second one, I just lobbed my guitar into the audience and stormed off. And uh, I, I remember that. I can't remember who was the, who was the leader of Greenpeace. Anyway, he came up to Vaxstones and said, I'll never do a gig for them again. Well, I thought, well, that's, that ain't going to bother me. <laughs> I couldn't hear a bloody thing anyway. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for that one. That's that's good. I've, I've decided to start asking bands these questions because you can go through the same question over and over again. Oh, 
John fell into a hole and found hidden gems and buried treasures. Soldier there from the Nawabam era, one of my favourite eras of the music scene. Well, I will bid you, dear listener, a good new year to Ain and all, as we finish up with a wonderful interview with a living legend of the world rock scene, Mr Mick Box of Uriah Heap. Uh, so sit back in our rocking chair, enjoy a heapful of Uriah tunes, as we started off the interview asking Mick, was he surprised at the longevity of the mighty Heap? Yeah, I mean, you know, you thought we'd go for two, three, maybe five years, be lucky. Um, and such was the business at that time. But little did we know it was going to last this long, you know. Yeah. But it just shows you that, you know, at that particular time, the bands that came out recorded some great music um, that stood the test of time that people still like hearing in the live arena, as well as at home and in their cars and everywhere else. So... Thank goodness for that, mate. And that's why we put it around. <laughs> I think you're, you're quite right there. Your latest album, Chaos and Colour, came out at the beginning of this year. It's your 25th studio album. Uh, so I worked it out. So half the time you've been recording stuff and half the time you've obviously been either touring or doing other things. Um, yeah. You've got a seven-minute song on it. And I noticed most of the albums have a very long song at some point. Uh, uh, yeah. Were you ever asked to compromise that? Or have you stuck to your no, 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 no. I mean, I think we've we've um, we've established um, what we're all about in there over the years. So we just kind of record what we want to record. You know, we're not looking for anything other than a good album. Um, if if they can pull a single off it, then all the better. But yeah, that's been immense all the way through. You know, we've always had long tracks on 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 every album because. Part of what your eye heap does is, you know, we 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 tip our toe in that you know the jazz, rock, folk. Um, metal, um, blues, filled all the way through, you know. And uh, we started with that back with our first album. And I think it was depicted very, very strongly in that album because that was a bleed over from the band Spice that became your eye. Um, but we've kind of kept that that flow going, you know. We, we've always had this progressive rock side to your eye. Yeah, because the one thing I was going to ask you, the Hammond organ sound has never changed. <laughs> that has been this oh, since it's day, day one. That I, I personally love, yeah. and uh, I think it, it's a good uh, playoff, if you like, with the wild, wild guitar and stuff, you know, and I think, you know, it just works very well. The great thing about that particular instrument is that it, it, it encompasses all types of music. It can be very gentle, be romantic, it can be aggressive, mm-hmm. can be rocky, it can be everything, you know. So wherever your music goes, the hammer's always going to fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good um you touched on it earlier, you said jazz influences. I read that uh, Django Reinhardt was one of your influences in your guitar playing. Well, back, way back in the day when um, my mother could only afford um, a lesson a week uh, with a guy called Hanny Hoskins in, 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 in Walthamstow in the East End of London. And I went to him and um, he used to be the second guitarist to Django Reinhardt. Oh, right. Uh-huh. So my first guitar teachers were very jazz orientated, which I love because I loved all the voicing of all the chords mm-hmm. and and playing melodies within those chords. So I thought that was really lovely. So I, I warmed to that immediately, and and that was his initial teaching. So once I heard that, obviously I you know I got all the uh, the albums of Django Reinhardt the day, and um, 
was was just amazed at what he could do with mm. with so little, if you like, because he lost some of his fingers, didn't he? Yeah. So um, and was an inspiration for Tony Iommi, I believe. So, you know, Django left a big mark on on because I'm going to say Django's Django. not the one. A lot of folks say they tend to say Buddy Holly or something like that to me. So I was quite quite well, Buddy Holly again with me as a writer. You know, when I was coming out of the um, the jazz orientation stuff, I was getting into Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran. And and people like that, you know, and that's where they sort the rock side and Elvis Presley, of course. That's where they sort the rocky side started taking over from the jazz. She came to me one morning, one lonely Sunday morning, her long hair flowing in the midwinter wind. I know not how she found me, for in darkness I was walking. Destruction lay around me from a fight I could not win.
How, how did you form the, the heap sound? Because it is unique. If anybody puts an album on, they can tell straight away, apart from the Hammond organ, uh, it is Uriah Heap, because you have a very unique sound. I've never heard a band anywhere else that, that comes close to it. Yeah, there's something we established way back when. When uh, I mean, I I, I, um, I was a big big Vanilla Fudge fan, you know, with Mark Stein on the, on the, on the Hammond organ. And they, they, they were a band that just copied songs you know they didn't like to keep me hanging on by the breeze and did big arrangements to them dynamics great vocals and everything you know but it, it wasn't original songs and i just felt that that if we sort of um took that template a little bit further because i played wild, wild guitar a lot mm-hmm. and gave a few more different colors in plus the fact we had five singers we could always use our harmony not always like coming out of the 60s it was done very sweetly just sing along with the chorus and who's and ours <laughs> But you know, we came along and used it as another instrument almost, you know, mm-hmm. like that block harmony and gypsy, the step harmonies and bird of prey, all those things started becoming a trademark. So, when you put an album on, we've n- normally um tried to encompass all those things <laughs> in it, you know, so you know, it's us, even 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 in two, 2020s or whatever you want to call them these days. Uh, you put on the album and it's very rocking right from the start, you know, you, you don't kind of have haven't let up. Or age or anything else, you know, no, it's, there are very fast know, songs. It's in, it's in their DNA, John. You know, it's just what what we are. You know, um, I'm never going to go out and just do a little, you know, a little folk album because I'm this age. You know, you know, I've still got the same passion I've always had for the music. So, uh-huh. and that helps you get through and, and come through and, and and carry on rocking. Yeah, I was going to say, how long do you think you'll go on? I, I, the reason I ask is, I was for my sons. I was away seeing the Hollies last week, and Bobby Elliott is 81 on drums and he looks as if he's playing them like a 20 year old and that, that to me when i think of if i'm going to be 81 will i be doing something like that i'd be i'd be over the moon do you think you'll get you'll keep going well into your 80s well you know you know i i never put any brick walls in the way um of that happening um all i can say is as long as you've got your health you can carry on doing what you love so i think look after yourself and mm-hmm. um and uh make sure you're on top of your health and everything will be fine
and found hidden gems and buried treasures. Go back to the album, Chaos and uh, Colour. The artwork on it is slightly different from some of the previous albums from Heap in the in the noughties, as we say, because you you kind of go for I'd say this Colour and Chaos is more kind of uh, in the kind of Radiohead news sort of look, whereas previous ones have maybe sort of veered towards really? like Yes album colours, album covers because they've been more kind of uh, very sort of fantastical. How do you how do you choose who chooses what you're going to put on the, on the cover? Look, we 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 got a guy from Ignatius do it, and and um, you know we gave him a scoop, obviously, because you know chaos and color. The the idea of the title was that um, it was written in the chaotic time of COVID, and the only color in people's life was music. So that's the essence right. of the title. So we wanted the 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 um, the album to have color on it, the album cover, the artwork and not be drab or anything you know and it's just bring color into people's lives and then when they come up with the idea of the guy who's is in anguish because obviously and it really tied in with you know he's got the covid anguish but the color is the music coming out you know so it's kind of all tied in with the 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 whole initial idea which were mine of course <laughs> usually end up giving the names of the albums no that's, 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 that's interesting because i've looked through the sort of cds albums and you do go for kind of sort of the sort of mystical Gypsy style stuff, and then the other two albums all of a sudden have a very kind of more modernistic cover, and then you go back to the. I wondered if there was a pattern. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you just you just do you know, artwork really is just locked in time as is music. To be fair, you know, yeah. and um, you look at the artwork that's available at the time, and you just mm-hmm. choose what feels best to go mm. with the music. Ah, right. and, it, yeah. and it's no more. There's no no more um, complicated than that. To be honest. Mm. If if uh, COVID, did you? How did you find that? Because I know a lot of musicians I've spoke to, they were going nuts because they couldn't go out and do anything. They they were stuck in, and, and a lot of them re- either re-recorded their old songs oh. uh, and brought them out as reworkings on an album. Did, were you ever tempted to do that during COVID? I, th- I think if you ask my family, they'd, they'd, they'd say I was going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, as a musician and the sort of personality I am, um, when that big um, whole appeared in my curriculum mm-hmm. um, without any touring. I filled it with lots of other things. You know, I did uh, mm-hmm. lockdown uh, videos and uh, mixed Monday videos. I did a lot of cameo things, mm-hmm. um, which which is um, videos for people celebrating birthdays and things like that. It goes to my cancer charity. Um, I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of book writing and stuff like that. So I just filled it up with you know my day was as busy as ever. Mm. It just wasn't out on the road.
See, see when you record albums, Mick, are you an old style band? Do you still go to a studio? Or I know uh, the likes of Bernie, if he's still in Canada, does 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 he just do his bits digitally wise? Or do no, no, we we, we have to be in the studio at the same studio. time. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah, I I wouldn't record it any other way. Yeah. I mean, that's when you get the true essence of a band, you know, playing uh-huh. together, and and um. You know, and sometimes we didn't. We do well, most times we didn't use click tracks and things like that because you know I think you took away the human element. If 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 we're speeding up, then we're speeding up because it's exciting, you know, yeah. and uh, and and it's a natural progress rather than holding it back just because it's all got to be on the one. Is is not my game at all. Oh, no, and if you look at all the all the albums that we began talking about back in the seventies, they were all recorded that way. You know, we didn't yeah. have click tracks and things like that. You just went in and played the song, and then you yeah. you. You chose the best take. That's why I like Joe Rustin as our producer because he, when he says you've got the take, that's that's it. He doesn't mess with it. I've worked with other producers that say uh, you've got the great take, and then they say, "Will you go away and uh, and have some lunch, and I'll do some some work on it." And then they put everything all on the one of the bass drum. You come back, all the magic was there's all gone. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, um, you know, we, we're very much a band that does it in the old school way. Dream is driving if 
Cartigan to Camus Lang from Rutherglen to Halfway and across the south east of Glasgow. This is Camus Radio 107.9 FM. Your voice, your music, your station. So this is just an off the wall question because I thought 25 albums. If I was an alien and I had landed on Earth and somebody said you've got to listen to Uriah Heap, what yeah. albums would you suggest, mate? Mick, that, uh... oh, 25. <laughs> that way you got lots of birthday presents, lots of Christmas presents, <laughs> anniversary presents. You got presents of plenty for for a long while. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. <laughs> I like that one. I mean, because it's been diverse, and because there's been um, a lot of lineup change, it'd be very difficult to say this is. Yeah. It. But I mean, if you're talking to certain people, they'll go right back to the seventies to the lineup of you know. You know, Box Kerslake, Byron Thane, Hensley. Um, you know, but there's lots of good music beyond that as well. So it's very difficult to, to pinpoint. It's, it's, talking about David Byron and uh, along with Bernie. Was Bernie chosen because he is quite close? When you listen to some of the David Byron vocals, Bernie is not far off being. And I was, I was amazed when I found out he actually came from Canada way back because mm. he doesn't sound Canadian. He hasn't got a twang. It sounds very, very. <laughs> Anglified. Uh, does, yeah, I mean, singing voice. Yeah, a lot of his family from England, so you oh, know right. he, he's been here for years and years and years and years. So um, it it was it was almost English, to be fair. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons for 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 getting Bernie on board was that he had the same range as David, yeah. which was which was quite a high range mm-hmm. um, or a wide range. And um, and he could cope with all the different um, styles of singers that we have had. Mm-hmm. So um, he really was the, the, the one that could do it all, if you like.
you're coming on tour uh, next year on this. It's a metal tour with Priest and Saxon. Which, which I find yeah. a bit, <laughs> this, you're, you're not, yeah, I suppose you, as you said, you kind of cover all genres, uh, but probably the least metal out of the three of them, I would say. Uh, and uh, is, is that the kind of thing you want to do? I mean, you're going to big arenas around the UK for, with this one. I mean, is it still something that gives you that buzz or do you prefer the smaller sort of venues or clubs or whatever? Oh, well, you know, you know, if you're in a band, you know, you play all sorts of things. You know, we played... You know, 130,000 people in Singapore in Brazil. We played 120,000 TF Square in Ukraine. Uh, you know, and yet we played small clubs in Germany as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you just play where you play, you right, know, you right. 100%. You don't look at the, the you know, the, the size of things, you know. I mean, we just played Wacken uh, recently mm-hmm. to 51,000, you know. Yeah. Marvellous, you know, and the next time we're up in norway to a to a fair where there's only five thousand you know mm-hmm. but it, it's it's all the same once you're on the hit on that stage you know yeah has it surprised you the the success and longevity of your heap from when you started i think yes yeah, it's, it's very surprising the fact you know i was talking about it this morning walking the dog um <laughs> in park with a with a bass player friend of mine and he and he we were talking about you know um, us selling 40 million albums and, and, and it was just a spin out. It never, it just, people say that and it just disappears into the ether. Yeah. It got me thinking about it and I'm thinking 40 million homes have got and songs, some of my songs, my guitar, all, all in there, you know. And then another guy who was walking the dog chips in and said, Yeah, but that's not the ones that have been making all the copies and sending them out. So it could be. <laughs> So it was a real spread out. So yeah, you, you, it, it's it's a wonderful feeling, but you never believed it was going to ever happen. If 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 Heap hadn't taken off, what would you have done, Mick? What do you think you would have been doing? Initially, I was a footballer. Ah. I played for my school. I played for London Schoolboys, uh-huh. and I was coming through. But I did notice that um, people people were getting taller than me. Um, I've always <laughs> been virtually challenged. <laughs> My mum was five foot nothing, and I'm not far <laughs> off that. And, you know, it, it just, um, they were getting bigger and bigger. But I, I was, in those days, I could get stuck in. In those days, you could get stuck in in football, yeah. like you can today. Yeah. And Because I was, you know, low on the ground. I could get, yeah. I could run fast. And uh, so I had all those attributes, and um, I could score goals. And I was, you know, I was a good little player. Inside right, right winger, I think, um, would be the term back then. But, um, you know, I just saw people shooting up a lot bigger and faster and, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, um, maybe I should look for something else. Then it just occurred to me one day, um, I was in the changing room, somebody had hurt their leg really badly. And I said, wow, if I, you know, if I really damage my leg or break my leg, I, I can't play football again. Hmm. If I do that, I could still go on stage and sit down and play. <laughs> so, <laughs> So the emphasis slowly going like this way, you know, <laughs> and suddenly, you know, it was guitar all the way. <laughs> well, that was forward planning. I like that.
have you got planned for Heap uh, for the coming day? Oh, you've also got the tour next year uh, with the bands, and I saw you're going to Rio before then, I think, as well. You're over to back to Brazil. Uh, is there another Heap yeah. album in the pipeline yeah, at this point in time? Well, do you know what? Um, although I write things every day, I mean, me and the keyboard player, Phil Lansing, most do most of the writing. Um, although Russ and Davey came on on board on, on Picasso in Colour because they had time to do it. Um, you know, we 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 stockpile ideas, but then we we never put start putting things together seriously until someone says you're going in the studio in so many months, and then we start getting it together. And then it's fresh, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and 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 for us, it's very important to have that freshness. You know, so even if we had some old stuff we're working on, we'll just ditch that and move on the new stuff. Yeah, that's, that's no, but, no, we haven't we haven't um, actively started recording, but there again. In the same breath, there's a lot of ideas sitting there waiting to be, you know, picked up. I suppose if you say if you can record it within two weeks, you you don't need a lot of pre- well a lot of preparation in terms of getting things. There's well, lots of good stuff there you can go. I think the most important thing with an album is when, when you've got the songs, mm-hmm. you're going to do a bit of pre-production, um, and this is where young bands can learn. Mm-hmm. Do pre-production in a rehearsal room, get all the hard work done there, and then when you go in the studio, you're just going for the one take that is the right sound of the right feel. Mm-hmm. And you're done. You're done. So it's words from the master there. The... Yeah, all well, the hard work done at rehearsals, and then, and then just going record the sounds, the performances, mate, yeah. and the feel. And that's it. Did, have you have you ever felt of like changing the sound? I, I spoke about the other bit, the sound of heap, just to see what it would sound like, see if people would react, because it, yeah. it is it's, it's a unique sound and it's so successful. Obviously, the only time it's changed a little bit is by producers. Mm-hmm. I felt that um, around the eighties, say Abominog, if you like. Um, well, that was a great album. It went top mm-hmm. forty in America, and we had a huge success. And etc etc um even if i put it on today it sounds very 80s <laughs> you know, because there was a time in the in the business where things had to sound like a certain way or else they wouldn't even get airtime mm-hmm. and uh and that applied to not only the sound of the band but also vocalists you know that to have a, that, that side of a bit of a smooth sound to it to to make it work and I think, you know, Abominog had, had, it was quite raw, but, you know, Peter Golby at the time, our vocalist, had a great voice for radio uh, in those days. And um, and I think also when we went to, um, we had a guy called Tony Platt produce an album called Equator that didn't really do anything at all because the record company we were signed to was signed specifically to sign acts like us. They signed us and then folded. Portrait <laughs> <laughs> label. Portrait label CBS it was, uh, <laughs> and so um, but he came on board and it, and he he really Americanized everything and it was just all too smooth and mm. you know, like I say earlier you know that he, he ironed out all the magic that was there in the first place.
into a hole and found hidden gems and buried treasures. There were different ways of the of the say sort of the recording process now because obviously you, you still go to studios, but it, do you find there's more freedom now uh, than you had? when you were on the kind of the early in the 70s, 80s and the big labels, you got more freedom to do what you want now. Quite lucky. We, 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 you know, we've always sort of had the freedom. I mean, we, we always a band that went in and recorded a great album with a single on it. Well, good. Thank, thank God for that. And, uh, and there you go. There was a point in time after getting things like Easy Living being successful. I mean, up to Easy Living, it was a, you've got to write another Gypsy. You get easy living. You got to write another easy living. <laughs> then we, then Ken was going through this real pop period, which I didn't particularly like, and and so we had uh, uh, "Free Me," which is a song that reverberated in Germany, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, um, big, and and it was a you know a good poppy song, but it, you know we were a rock band, you know, so it was kind of you know us tipping our toe in it, but you know. Then the record company saying, "Oh, we want another free me." We want, the, you know. And suddenly it was, um, it did get a bit silly. But in the end, we just said, "Leave us alone." We record, we record, and if you got, a, you, you pull off a single off it, then good luck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> is, is there anything about Uriah Heap, like Box, or anybody that people would be surprised about? They wouldn't think. Well, apart from the fact that you weren't, were going to be a professional footballer if you hadn't taken up guitar, uh, was there anything that oh, people would be surprised at? I wouldn't know really. I'm a pretty open book, <laughs> to be honest, mate. You know, I, I take the um, <laughs> Postagoglu approach. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honest, up front, and That's just let it front. go. You know, yeah. Um, I don't think there's many surprises in there. No. Um, <laughs> You know, I just do the same normal things everyone else does. I walk the dog in the morning. I walk him at night. I walk him three times a day. So that gives me. Um, I do the shopping for the family and this that, and the other. <laughs> I did have a funny instance in in, in um, Sainsbury's in uh, in the north north of London where I live, and um, for some reason I had this this car that that was self locking, mm-hmm. and I had the windows sort of. This much open, this is that much open. I couldn't get my arm out, but it locked me in. I was sitting in the driver's seat, going, well, "What can I do?" I couldn't do it. See? <laughs> so this lady was walking with a trolley, walking past, and I shouted to her, "Says, hello, darling, can you help me? I'm stuck in here. Can I give you the key and then use the key to unlock the door for me?" <laughs> and she she looks and she came right up the window. She says, "You're not Mick Box if you're right here." <laughs> Yes, darling, I am. But if you can please get me out of this prison, because I'm baking in here, um, I will do a selfie with you. I'll me, you, give me your address. I'll send you pictures, which we did. And uh, <laughs> it was just a funny moment, you know. Oh, that's of all people in the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a brilliant one. In other words, there's a surprise around every corner. And we didn't yeah, know. Exactly, exactly. Is there anything that... Uh, you want to say to any of your fans, whatever, Robert? Our fans, you know, you know, without our fans, you know, we're just the noise in the in the rehearsal room. Yeah. And so we're thankful to them um for you know for supporting us, being with us, you know, being on this roller coaster ride we've been on so far. And uh, and and you know, supporting us with buying the, the albums and the and and the and the, the concert tickets and the merch and everything else, you know. 
it's been wonderful, you know, and we, we revere our fans like more than probably most bands ever do. I mean, we're the sort of band that we go into all these different parts of the world, but generally we could name all the front row, <laughs> you know, because we meet them, we know them, we go around many times, you know, so well, that sort of band, you know, so yeah, the fans are uh, uh, immense to us and we're, mm-hmm. we're immensely proud of them and we hope we make them proud too. Yeah, it's nice to hear. And I won't keep you any longer, Mick, because thank you for doing this. I know it's, you're probably getting your no problem, for your tea. Day. It is not. It's, um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Lovely, mate. And if fact, you look over for... here, uh-huh. see, it's my first guitar. Ah, right. Uh-huh. That's my mum who bought that first guitar for me. And you've, you've kept it for you. And That's... it's a Telston. Uh-huh. Um, with a diamond pickup on, and it's a semi-acoustic um, sort of red sunburst, and we bought it for twelve pound ten, old money, in um, a pawnbroker's at the top of Walthamstow High Street. Oh, that's still, good. <laughs> still got it. And that's where I started, that's and that's good. where my fingers used to bleed because the, the strings were so high, <laughs> you know. But it never stopped me. But that was the beginning of everything. So, now that's a th- that you just made me think of a question there, Mike. I have tie guitar. And I have very small fingers. What's well, so You know, I should I, not I, be a guitarist. Exactly. No, that's what I was going to say. How, how, how well, you look at people it? like um, Satriani, Paul Gilbert, um, Steve Vai. Um, the latest guy I really love is Richie Cotson from uh, uh, Winery Dogs. Um, and all those guys, you look at them, their fingers are longer than my legs. <laughs> <laughs> and the spreads they do are just ridiculous. Oh, and I can never do that. So even in the early days when they're doing all the scales and things like that, which bored me to tears, I must say, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't play them how everybody else was playing them. So I used to roll it. And eventually oh, right. they gave me my own style. And that's uh-huh. why I've got this sort of rolly style that I have. So, right, so like, in the end, it worked for me rather than against me. Uh-huh. And, and the nicest thing anybody says to me is that, you know, when I hear your guitar on the radio, I know it's you immediately. And I think, well, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. that that will do me. That's interesting to know how you, you rolled it, because I, 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 I tried and I just could not stretch to that top <laughs> string. And I thought, how did you do this? I said, yeah. this, this is beyond me. Back in the day as well, you know, it was uh, everybody was an individual. The, the You know, with bands like um, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, uh-huh. Led Zeppelin, Your Eye, whoever we were going to pull in, each of the musicians was an individual, and and you know all the, all the, the guitars were different, all the bass players were different, the drums were different, keyboard players, yeah. vocals all different. But it's just some of the parts that gave every band their flavour, mm-hmm. and and um, that's sadly missing today because everyone's sounding and looking alike. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know you get guitar schools and they go in the front door, they come out two years later, play a fantastic guitar, mm-hmm. but they all sound the same. Yeah. In, in that learning process, no, no, been a, no attention paid to the individual mm-hmm. or the individuality. So, you know, you, you're, you're in a situation now where you can take that person out of there, put him in there, put that one in there, put him in there, put him in there, and you never know the difference. But in the old days, I couldn't replace Richie Blackmore. Richie couldn't replace Tony Iommi. Mm-hmm. Tony couldn't replace, you know, Jimmy Page. It was just, it wouldn't work. And all the bass players and the keyboard and the drummers and the vocals, all the same. Yeah, so with the, with the guitar, that was a very important thing for me that, you know, that I persevered and you know, created my own style, which is good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coupled that with discovering Jeff Beck's Truth album, where he <laughs> played the Wild Wild, which was the, one of my all-time favourite albums, that and Beckola, to, to, um, with Rod Stewart on. Come on. It, it, yeah. 
And Rod Stewart never sang better than on those two albums yeah. ever anything else. Marvelous. <laughs> and Ronnie Wood on bass. I mean, just Mickey Wood on piano and uh, <laughs> Nicky Opus on piano. Sorry, Mickey Wood on drums. Oh, amazing. Um, but there again, you listen to it and it's true, it's honest. You can tell they were in the studio playing together, having a great fun. Yeah. And that was that's what you heard, you know. And and that's what it's all about for me, you know. And that's where my world war came from because I heard that once and once only went. That's the pedal for me. I think you know, I agree with you. I think a lot of stuff sounds very sterile these days because they don't have that kind of, I don't know, is it just uh, sort of playing off each other, going into a studio or going into a club? Sitting it's, doing the stuff whole it's, business has got two separatists, you know, yeah. the, you know, some over here are sending files, going to the studios individually. Yeah. Get back to the band, go in the band, get the flavour of the band, yeah. and, and and develop that flavour, you know, and, and, and until everyone recognises it, and then you'll you'll be flying. Because oh, if you're chasing uh, the same part as everyone else, you, you can only be second best because there's always someone else doing it yeah. before you. You're very wise words. You, that's it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Mick. It really well, has. Thank you, my friend. And thanks, no, and I uh, thank if you're speaking to Robert. Thanks. Thank him again, and uh, hopefully the tour next year goes well with Priest and Saxon. That's about three of my favourite bands. Yeah, I, so I think we're, look, we're looking at prior to that going to America, and then we're doing that, and then we we finish the Priest Saxon heap thing, and then we go to a rock cruise from Fort Lauderdale over to Cayman oh. Islands or wherever it is. That they normally go to and back, you know, which is great fun. There's loads of bands. Mm-hmm. Loads of bands on there. Then we've got all the festivals. We've just been receiving from our manager festivals in Clam Festival, Lovely Days Festival, this festival, that festival. It's great. Yeah, so happy days. Working more than uh, <laughs> you did in the early days. <laughs> so we'll keep taking the vitamins and get out exactly. of the <laughs> no, brilliant. Thanks very much, Mike, for your time. Happy today. days, John. Your godless ways and your gold crest limousine. You were making trends with your so called friends with a power so obscene. Then your hollow heart, it was torn apart. You were torn a learning curve. If you turn your back on good advice, you get what you deserve. We hit the nail right on the head. We hit the nail right on the head. Over and over again. We hit the nail. wants to try his best to make things good. He's an honest man with a helping hand from a run-down neighborhood. Then you hear the thud, you see the blood, it's good work come undone. Step aside for the one who said, only the good die young. Hey, we hit the nail right on the head Over and over
and frowns in the sweetheart look for truth Or the lies between what she believes Gonna have to take the fall No fear the she will ever look back Cause true love's gone cause all Radio is an amazing medium. It can inspire, entertain, inform and connect people. This station, Cam Glen Radio, is run by a dedicated, passionate and committed team of volunteers and you can be one of those volunteers too. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced broadcaster or if you've never set foot in a studio in your life. We provide all the training and support that you need to do what you want to do. And it's a great way of making new social connections, learning new skills, expanding on your CV and just having loads of fun. So to find out more about volunteering with Cam Glen Radio, just email volunteering at healthynhappy.org.uk. Cam Glen Radio, 107.9 FM. Your voice, your music, your station. Join me, Brian Byrne, every Friday night for Music in the Key of Life and take a trip through musical history, from The Clash to The Beatles, ska to jazz and even rock and roll. 
Find out more about the history of your favourite bands, as well as live guests, established artists and emerging local talent. Fridays from 6 on Camline Radio. Tune in to the Cam Glen Express every Friday night, showcasing music from every continent around the world. And beyond. Fridays from 8pm on 107.9 FM. Cam Glen Radio. It's out there. Hello there, this is Daniel O'Donnell here and you're listening to Cam Glen Radio on 107.9 FM. Your voice, your music, your station. Hey boy, you like the blues? Tune in to Cam Glen Radio for blues past and present. Wednesday, 6, while 7, with Susan Lyons. I got the blues. Still waiting for the gift of sound and vision? Wait no more. Get in the picture with Ian Robertson every Monday from 1 till 2. It's all about good music and tuning in to Better Photography. 